0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Diva. Um, Yes, Diva does such a great job. You know, she said what I was going to say. If you did not, if you weren't here last Sunday, I really want to encourage you, go pull up the website. Either look at the video, download the podcast, because... Angela really pressed into the question of, is God disgusted or offended by my sin? That's the myth. God is. And uh, there, there's a nuance there that makes all the difference in the world. So, And it's such a great backdrop to what I'm going to talk to you about today. So, listen, for those of you who are brand new, my name is Ron uh, I'll be doing the teaching for the next 30 minutes or so. You can pray about that so that I can be done in in 30 minutes. We're going to learn some things about grace this morning that I didn't know prior to doing the research for this particular teaching. And, they have, and the things that I have learned have been so helpful for me. Uh, and so we're going to press into that in just a moment. Uh, but I would just want to acknowledge some things. And that is, some of us are here... Because we come here all the time and we recognize, wow, when I come to church and and I engage with what's going on, by the time I leave, I always feel better. Isn't that how it is with most of us? Yeah, it's an investment that we make. But I also realize there are people here who have been drugged here by a well-intentioned friend or relative. And you're like, oh man, I just hope I can endure that. And when Diva got done, you're thinking, if I could just make it to the spa water, I'm good, right? So um, I want to say to you, welcome, and I want to encourage you, engage as much as you can. You may not have grown up in a church. You may not know anything about the Bible. You may know very little about Christianity, but that doesn't actually make any difference because you belong here just as much as I do. You belong here just as much as the person next to you. And the things that I'm going to teach us this morning are things that you will be able to understand and you will be able to put into your life this week because that's how Jesus was when he taught. So you don't have to be a theologian or have any prior Bible knowledge to come here. And if you're here, again, because something's going on in your life and you think, oh my goodness, I've got to get reconnected with God because that's sort of my last hope. I don't know what I'm going to do. If that doesn't work, that's okay too. Because I want to tell you that will work. It will work. Because God will meet you right where you are. And today we're going to talk about a myth. In this in the midst of this summer of refreshment, where we're encouraging all of us, hit the refresh button. There's a lot of joy that comes when we learn to listen to Jesus and follow Jesus as Jesus leads, it's an amazing life that we get to lead and that we get to live. And so I want to encourage you with something today that's very refreshing. And right away, I know that it's our natural tendency to take whatever we learn today and think, that's really going to help me with how I look at that person or this person or that person. And yes, it will. But before you do that with what I'm going to teach you, would you be kind enough to yourself to say, the first person I'm going to apply this with is the person I see in the mirror, is myself. Because we're going to learn about grace today. And here's the myth. Hello. You can tell it's been two weeks since I've done this, right? And I'm doing it old school, so you got to have patience with me. All right, here we go. The myth that we're working on this week is... hello, That one. I'm getting scarred as I'm standing up here. Real Christians don't have scars. And to get us into that, I want you to think of the simplest math problem that you know that you have said and you probably followed this math problem with the word, duh. And that is, hey, two plus two equals what? Four. Duh. Every kindergartner should know that. So when something is really obvious, we sort of use that formula. Here's the amazing thing about what else we do with that. We take... Our complex lives that have all kinds of stuff. We have our broken nature that all of us have. That part of us, that doesn't want to do what's right. And we've all got it. And then you take someone with a broken nature and you put them into a home. And they're going to be raised by two parents who have that broken nature. And they're going to raise and train up that child And the parents have scars and the parents have hurts. And the kid is going to grow up with scars and hurts. And then you take all the things that have happened to us in life that have been hurtful or disappointing or less than what we expected, and you take all that stuff and you mix it into our world and we become really complex people and it's really hard to figure out our stuff. And we think somehow we can plug all of that complexity into that simple little math problem and here's what it looks like. Jesus heals perfectly plus I have come to Jesus for healing and it equals what? I should be healed perfectly. And sometimes, maybe oftentimes, that's the expectation that we have. That I came to church, Jesus promises to heal my wounds and and my hurts and all that stuff. And I've been a Christian. I've been following Jesus now for a few years. Therefore, I should be healed perfectly. And there are verses in the Bible that sort of lead us that way. And Justin referred to one this morning. By his wounds, you have been healed. Here's another one. He is able to save completely those who come to him. That's Jesus Here's another one. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. And we look at that and we go, I should be purified because Jesus came to redeem me. Because if Jesus Jesus heals completely and I have come to him for healing, that's where I should be. And with that's our theology and that's the underlying current that comes through in our lives and if you grew up in maybe in a legalistic church that message got communicated to you over and over and over again. I know it did for me. Well it leaves me with sort of these options. Number 1, I can do this. I can pretend I don't have any scars. I'm good. Yeah, and I can come to church, I can put on my plastic smile, I can greet everybody and go, life is great, life is wonderful, I'm good. I got no problems because I'm a Jesus follower and he healed me completely. Isn't that wonderful? And the people that really know me? Dude, how's it like swimming in denial? Because the end result is, it leads me to a place of hypocrisy and pride. It causes me to hide because I don't want to look at myself. Because if I really look at myself, I will see the scars. I will see the wounds. I will see the stuff in my life that I know I don't want there. But because of my theology, I have to pretend it isn't there. And it leads me to this place of hypocrisy slash pride. Well, if I don't choose that, I might choose this. There's something wrong with me. Yeah. This looks like it works for other people, but it's not working for me. Because I have real scars and I have real hurts and I have real areas in my life that when people touch them, it hurts. It really hurts. And sometimes it gets a reaction from me that I'm not proud of. So there must be something wrong with me. We learned a few weeks ago the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, I've done something wrong. We all need that. Because that's what leads us to make things right. Shame says, there's something wrong with me. Not, I have done something wrong. Shame says there's something wrong with me. I need to hide. One of the earliest verses on the first pages of the Bible tells the story of the first people God created, Adam and Eve, and they did something they weren't supposed to do. And the Bible says this, they were ashamed and they hid. You see, they were dealing with shame, not guilt. And they felt like there's something wrong with me. I have to hide. Can I tell you there's no freedom in hiding? Correct? No, that's a bondage. There's no freedom in hiding. Well, if I decide not to be a hypocrite and I decide not to have shame, here's another option. There might be actually something wrong with Jesus. There it is there might be something wrong with Jesus. And this is the reason some of us walked away from church. It's like, well, there's a whole lot of people in there pretending they have no scars, but I know them. I see them. They got them. And I have come to Jesus and I've asked Him to heal all my scars and all my wounds and all my scars and all my wounds are not healed. I'm not sure Jesus can be trusted. Because this is not... Shaken out the way I thought it would shake out. Or, it could be this there's something wrong with others. You know, when you don't like yourself, it's always easier to pick on everybody else, right? And that's a tendency that we all have. Because if I can actually point out faults in other people, It preoccupies me and I don't have to focus on what's going on in my life. And it turns me into this person who has judgment. So I want to take this wrong myth, this wrong theology, and let's take a look at what actually Jesus taught and what the followers of Jesus taught who were personally trained by him. Because here is the actual formula for how this works. And that is... Jesus heals perfectly. I have come to Jesus for healing. And what does that mean? I'm in the healing process. I have on my hand a scar. You'd have to look closely to see it because there's an interesting thing about scars. Okay? Every scar that you and I have is a mark of something that was painful. Isn't that true? Yeah, it's a mark left behind from something that was hurtful and painful. And the amazing thing about my hand is, would you say it's healed? Yeah. Yeah, that wound took place 50 years ago. It's still not dripping. There's no scab. It's healed. But there is a scar. And here's the amazing thing about the scar. It used to be a lot easier to see than it is now. And every year that goes by, it is less and less obvious. And after 50 years, if I showed you the back of my hand, I might have to point it out for you in order for you to see it. Because it's not much of a scar now. Because amazingly so, for 50 straight years, that scar has been healing. still there. It's it's not a pain. It's not inconvenient, but there's still a tiny mark. We're going to dig into that. Here's what Paul, if, if you're not familiar with the Bible, sometimes he's called the Apostle Paul. He was one of Jesus' closest followers, and he was personally trained by Jesus. After years of following Jesus, and being a, pa- a pastor, and starting churches across the face of the Mediterranean world, here's what he said about himself, about, about the people he wrote to. I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until tomorrow. No, 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 not till tomorrow, until what? The day of Christ, that's, that's the rest of your life on planet earth. That God is working in you, heal, bringing healing to those wounds and turning open wounds into closed wounds. Turning closed wounds into, into scars. That, 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 yes, they still have a mark, but when you have a scar, it's healed. That, maybe not the way we would like, but it is healed. He goes on to say about himself, I'm not saying I have it all together. This is a church planning phenomenon who, who traveled the face of the Mediterranean world, starting churches all over the place and leading hundreds and thousands of people to become followers of Jesus. And yet he said, when I look in the mirror, I realize I don't have it all together myself. I'm not saying I have it made, but I'm well on my way. I'm reaching out for Christ who so wondrously reached out for me. I'm off and running and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. And I just, I, I just want you in your mind to settle on the last part of this. Those of us who want everything God has for us. Can I tell you that in some ways, following Jesus is a little bit like a smorgasbord, okay? Jesus has a whole buffet of things that he makes available to you once you decide to become a follower of Jesus. There's a whole new line in life that's open to you. And like every other buffet, you can do what a very good friend of mine did at a salad bar because she hated salads. And a friend of hers took her to a salad bar restaurant. That would be like hell on earth, right? She got a plate of croutons. And that's what she ate. So you can sit at this wonderful bar that God has for you that has all these wonderful things for you in life and you can decide to eat a plate of croutons if you want to. And, And your walk with Jesus will always and ever only be a fraction of what it could be. And the healing that you experience in your life will always be only a fraction of what it could have been. I love what Paul said. Those of us who want everything God has for us. When I go to a buffet, I get a big plate. I will get my money's worth. I will go home regretting the fact that I got my money's worth. And I'm going to try a little bit of everything and a whole lot of some things. And you know what? When we come to Jesus, wouldn't it be great if we came and said, give me a big plate. I want to try everything Jesus has for me. Now, here's a reality that we live in. If we're in the healing process, then what does that mean? It means we're still partially wounded. Huh. If we are in the healing process, it's crazy for us to act like we're already healed. When you get impatient with yourself, it's important to look in the mirror and learn to have patience with that person and to say this about that person, that person I'm looking at has wounds, but they're in the healing process. They're going to be more healed tomorrow than they are today. They're going to be more healed next year than they are today. Because here's the truth. Real Christians live with wounds you know what a wound is it's an open sore and if someone touches it they get a reaction from you maybe not a good one ow don't touch that you have any buttons like that in your life of course you do real christians have wounds things that have happened to us that make a portion of our life tender way tender to the touch And we're not ready for anybody to mess with that area of our life yet. It's just a wound. It's okay. Real Christians have emotional allergies. When your body has an allergy, it's an overreaction to some stimulus. It's an overreaction. You and I have emotional allergies. And when somebody touches that portion of our life, we can sneeze all over them. You've done that, right? Yeah. It's an emotional allergy. It's a reaction that's bigger and stronger than it should be if we were really healthy. But it comes from way deep inside us. And we all have scars. So here's something that I've learned to say about myself. And I want you to be able to say this about yourself. And here it is. I'm not what I want to be and I'm not what I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Can you read that out loud with me? Here we go. I'm not what I want to be, and I'm not what I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Yeah. If we could live in that place, because since real Christians live with wounds, emotional allergies, and scars, it calls for some very special treatment. And as I wrap this up this morning, I want to talk to you about two people, two critters that live inside each of us. And here they are. One is a nurse and one is a chicken. And they both have something to do with grace. You're going, I've read the Bible from cover to cover. And I've never read about a nurse and a chicken in grace. So let's talk about this for a minute. I grew up in Iowa, and in Iowa there's all kinds of farmers, and 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 in Iowa they were yeah, years ago when I grew up, there the farmers were sort of generalists and they all had all kinds of animals, and one of the things that they talked about with chickens is this. Chickens would run around the chicken yard and so forth and do what chickens do. But if a chicken got a sore, you better just go eat that chicken right now. Because once the other chickens see the sore, they just start pecking at it. And they will kill that chicken. I know, that's terrible. Don't hate chickens, okay? They're just doing what chickens do. But do you know that you and I have a chicken living in us. That little critter's in there. And when we spot something wrong with someone else, it's really easy to go, peck, peck. And especially if they get too close to us or they spot something in our life that is imperfect, we go, you think I have a sore, watch this. And we shut them down. But you know what? Living inside of us is this wonderful portion of God that loves to be a nurse. And when a nurse sees a sore on somebody, do they peck at it? No. They find a way to bind it up and to say, there, it's going to be okay. It's better. And hey, I'll come back. I've got some good stuff for that. I'm not here to try to fix you. I'm not here to try to lecture you. I'm here to try to heal you. It's not very often that someone in the medical profession reveals their true motivations. But in 1991, I lay in a hospital bed in Honolulu, Hawaii with a neck that was broken in four places. And the doctor walked in, and I had broken my neck on the very first wave that I tried to body surf. And that's a story for another day. And I'm very fortunate to be in front of you with almost no limitations from that. But I laid in bed, and the doctor came in to see me. He had already looked at the MRI, and he saw I was 40 years of age. And he saw that I broke my neck on Sandy Beach... Breakneck Beach, the most dangerous beach in the world. And he wrote a narrative about me. This guy is a 40-year-old wannabe 18-year-old rebel who went out to the most dangerous beach in the world and broke his neck like an idiot. He walked in my room and he said, Mr. Hunt, I have some bad news for you. You've broken your neck in four places. And he said paralysis could set in anytime time over the next 48 hours. So if you're a praying man, I would suggest that you pray. I said, sir, I'm actually a pastor. I will be praying. He stopped. He caught his breath. And he said, he said I came in here I looked on your chart I saw you were 40 years of age I saw you were out at Sandy Beach and this guy is a rebel he's an idiot I am going to put him in a halo I'm going to drill screws in his skull and I'm going to put him in a halo because I cannot trust him to stay in a Minerva spine brace and he said you're not at all who I thought you would be he said, sir, if I put you in a brace, will you stay in it? I said, how long do I have to be in that brace? You know, I broke my arm. It was like four weeks. I broke my collarbone. It was about four weeks. He said, your, your neck bones get almost no blood supply. It's five months. I said, sir, if you tell me to stay in a brace for five months, I promise you, I will stay in it the entire time. you know what? There's a lesson in there. He put me in a a Minerva spine brace. When our posture and the narrative we have written about someone is not generous, we tend to want to drill holes in their skull when we don't have to. Got it? Yeah. I want to read a passage of scripture. Get along among yourselves, each of you doing your part. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on, not kick them out of the church. Say, hey, get up and and it's a buffet. Do something besides eat croutons. Yeah, get on with it. Gently encourage the stragglers. Reach out for the exhausted. There's no chicken here. This is all nurse. Have you noticed? Pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each person. Attentive to individual needs. And be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you know what that is? You touched an owie. You hit an emotional allergy. You touched an open wound. Wow. When you get on each other's nerves, that you don't snap at each other. You don't do the chicken. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. I'm going to close with a couple of things about grace. Oftentimes, we look at grace, and and you can take your eyes off the screen for a minute because this is probably the most important thing I'm going to teach all morning long. Oftentimes, we think of grace as a commodity that we can actually give to someone or decide not to give to them. We think of grace as something that when we are actually uh, motivated to be the best version of ourselves, that even when someone we don't like does something that offends us, as a good follower of Jesus, I need to get over that, I need to let go of that. We tap out a little of our grace from our grace commodity reservoir and we go rub it on that person and hope it gets better. The grace that Jesus has and the grace that God gives to us and the grace that God enables us to actually give to the people around us is not a commodity that we tap into. You might want to write this down. The grace that Jesus gives is a posture of the heart. It's not a commodity. It's an attitude. It's a posture in here. And it does three things for us. Number one, when we have Jesus kind of grace, it helps us understand and empathize with that person, no matter who they are or what they have done. Instead of judging them, I try to understand. And there's this thing on the inside of me that says, you know what? For anybody to have that kind of behavior, life is going to be hard for them. And I think they're probably trying to do their best. I'm pretty sure they didn't get up in the morning and go, I'm just going to be mean and nasty all day. I'm pretty sure they didn't get up with that. And I don't know what happened in the world. But they were mean and nasty to me. But you know what? I remember a few days when I was mean and nasty. Huh. Maybe they're having one of those days. It's the grace to understand and empathize. I did not say pity because the grace that pity goes, thank God I'm not like you. I feel sorry for you. That's not Jesus' grace, okay? To understand and empathize. And then it's grace that enables us to love and value them Just as they are. Not as we want them to be. But to actually love and value them just as they are. It was the grace that Jesus had when the people drug in a poor woman who was scared out of her mind. Because they caught her sleeping with a man who was not her husband. And they were ready to throw stones and kill her. And she realized that if they killed her, the last event of her life would be sleeping with a man who was not her husband. That's not how she wanted to go out. And Jesus looked at her. And in the end of the story, after Jesus had talked with the accusers and they all left, Jesus looked at her and said, hey, where's everybody who's accusing you? Where's all the chickens who were pecking? She said, sir, they've all left. And he looked at her with love and said, I don't accuse you either, but go and don't do that again. It's the grace to love and value them right where they are. And then the grace that Jesus gives enables us to forgive them when you and I get hurt in the process of trying to help them heal. This is a sermon, another whole sermon for another whole day. But I want to at least put the thoughts in your mind. Because here's the cool thing. And And I want you to get this. You and I tend to go straight to step number three. And we skip step number one and two. And when grace is a commodity, you'll go straight to step number three. I've got to find a way to forgive them. I hate them. I hate what they did. But I've got to find a way to let this go. I've got to tap into grace somewhere and rub it on there and hope it takes care of it. And that's not the grace that Jesus gives. He says, before you forgive them, why not try to understand them and empathize with them? And before you forgive them, Why not work at loving them and valuing them just as they are? And when you do that, friends, forgiveness is way easier, way easier. I want to pray for us. God, thank you so much that you have told us the truth, that we are people in the process of being healed. And God, we just want to say to you, we're not what we want to be and we're not what we're going to be, but we're so grateful to you that we're not what we used to be and that you are healing us. Would you give us the ability to have grace toward ourselves and then live out of the fullness of that grace to extend it to those around us? I pray in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message.